0: Today, we have Kai coming up to read the scripture. You guys, okay, okay, all okay. right. You guys, Kai is going to read our text today in Portuguese because we always want to remember that the table of God is so much bigger than what we see. Every tribe and nation in tongue is what is represented here in this room, and that's what Kai is going to do for us now. Hey, good Hey. Há lota de filhomas estudantes. Você e eu somos judeus de nascimento e não pecadores como os judeus consideram os gentios. E no entanto sabemos que uma pessoa é declarada justa diante de Deus pela fé em Jesus Cristo e não pela obediência à lei. E cremos em Cristo Jesus para que fôssemos declarados justos pela fé em Cristo e não porque obedecemos à lei. Pois ninguém é declarado justo diante de Deus pela obediência à lei. Mas se a busca de justiça por meio de Cristo nos torna culpados de abandonar a lei, isso torna Cristo responsável pelo nosso pecado? De maneira nenhuma. Se, pois, reconstruo o antigo sistema da lei, que já destruí, então faço de mim mesmo transgressor da lei. Pois quando procurei viver por meio da lei, ela me condenou. Portanto, morri para a lei a fim de viver para Deus. Fui crucificado com Cristo. Assim já não sou eu quem vive, mas Cristo vive em mim. Portanto, vivo neste corpo terreno pela fé no Filho de Deus, que me amou e se entregou por mim. Não considero a graça de Deus algo sem sentido, pois se a obediência à lei nos tornasse justo diante de Deus, não haveria necessidade alguma de Cristo morrer. Gálatas 2:15 ao 21. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you God. Yeah. Beautiful. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Park Hill Church. My name is Evan, and it's wonderful to gather together with you. Uh, My wife, Sandy, and I have the joy of leading this church. Um, If you're new here, very glad that you're here. Okay, we're getting right into the teaching. And uh, in the Christian faith, in the Christian faith, there are these concepts that are central. For those of us who are Jesus followers here, I imagine that's most of us in the room, these concepts, these central concepts, they're so important for how we view everything uh, God, yourself, uh, the rest of creation. Uh, for those of us who are not yet Jesus followers, first of all, welcome. And you're kind of checking things out, you're checking out the Jesus thing. Uh, listen, learning these concepts can help you make that decision to follow Jesus. So today we're unpacking these foundational elements, like what it means to be justified. What is justification? What does that even mean? That's a word we don't often talk about. And what does it mean that Jesus' followers are united with Christ? So for those of you that don't know, we are in a series called Galatians, One New Family. Galatians. It's this letter, Galatians, written around the year A.D. 50, A.D. 50, not 1850, uh, by the Apostle Paul. And he wrote this to a family of churches in ancient Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. I think we have some uh, folks from Turkey here at this church. I don't know if she's at this gathering. But uh, yeah, he wrote this to a church in Turkey. And this church family was supposed to be this multi-ethnic, multicultural family. Literally the new family of Jesus in the world. But But they were breaking up in tribes. Because they were dividing up around things that shouldn't matter, and they're pushing away from the table together, refusing to eat together, and the result was relational pain. And I just want to take a moment right now just to do a little plug. okay, Here's a plug. Uh, since Galatians deals specifically with ethnic racial tensions. We can extrapolate that out and talk about all kinds of tensions, but Galatians speaks primarily in terms of ethnicity, Jews and Gentiles. And because that's what Galatians, that's where it goes, that's exactly where we're going next week. So next week we're talking about racial reconciliation. We have a guest speaker with us, uh, J.T. Thomas. J.T. Thomas, he's the president of He's the president and founder of Civil Righteousness, an incredible organization located right there on the ground in Ferguson, Missouri. It flowed out of all the turmoil in Ferguson in in 2014, and then they started empowering churches on how to have this conversation in a gospel-centered way. So he's coming here to help empower us in the same way. We're going to devote a ton of time uh, for not only JT to preach, But also, we're going to pull out the the Slido Q&A app, and we're all going to be able to ask him live questions, and he'll interact with the whole church. Um, We're going to devote a bunch of time to that, all about racism and how a community like ours can respond to racism through the lens of the gospel. Here's why. We want to keep moving forward in this conversation, not just when it's trending in the news, because when it's trending in the news, we want to have a deep well of equity and wisdom and loving conversation we can already draw from instead of react. And so, so that's, that's next week. Civil Righteousness Day, you could call it. Civil Righteousness. I like that play on words. Uh, so, so, Galatians, here we are. Galatians is a timely letter for the church in 2022. This COVID era has done a number on our souls, am I right? And it's done a number on our relationships. It's like we need a huddle. Look, we've been kicked around on the field a little bit and we need to regroup around the gospel. There's your one sport analogy a week ahead of the Super Bowl, all right? There it is. And so, so we need to huddle up and regroup around the gospel. What does it look like to live as this family? And so to get us there, Paul goes back to the basics, of Christianity. And so that's where we're going. Central concepts of our faith. Here's a slide. What it means to be justified, what the law is, and how it can't justify us, and what it means that we, Jesus followers, have been crucified with Christ. What does that even mean? I wasn't cruci- I wasn't even alive then. How could I be crucified with him? What does that mean? So let's jump in. Galatians 2, in English. Galatians 2, 15 through 21. Here we go. We who are Jews... By birth, remember, Paul's talking to Peter, he's talking to Jews about uniting with Gentiles. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, we're going to spend the majority of this morning on these two verses. uh, Because these two verses are really the, the center, the theological heartbeat of the whole letter. You see those underlined words? You see them? Paul repeats three different terms three times each. Justified, works of the law, and faith. So for this talk, we're going to unpack each of these concepts, starting with justified. What does justification mean? What does it mean? What does Paul mean by justified? Huge topic here, actually. Debates about this word have literally changed world history, okay? Debates about this word have, books upon books have been written about this. Church denominations out of church denominations have come out of this. So I can't get into the nuances of all the debates. Uh, So instead, what I'm going to do today, you guys, what I'm going to do today is give My best take, (laughs) humbly, my best take on what it means to be justified, and this is alongside, you know, Park Hill's elders and our teaching team's filter, and hopefully this teaching will represent a big chunk of the scholarship in this one little summary, justified, okay? I'm I'm really excited about today, actually. I I think this conversation is, it doesn't get more important than this. So first things first, don't get intimidated by this next slide. You don't need to know the Greek at all. Here's how the word shows up in English and Greek. So so understanding justified, we have these words in the Bible, righteous, righteousness, and justify. But look look on the right, look at Greek. You don't even need to know Greek to know that they're the same word. So all those English words are translated from the same Greek word. Um, So if you were a Greek reader, you'd immediately know... uh, you'd immediately feel the same thing from justify as you do for righteous. There's, there's not a different word. We use a different word because what's the verb for righteousing? We don't have one, right? So, so if, if I'm righteous by faith in Christ, I don't use the word righteous. There's no English word for it. They have a Greek word. It's this one, but, but the translators in Latin and English used justified and it works. It's great. It's fine. But it means we have to do one step. We have, to, we have to remind ourselves, if we can, that it actually it was inspired in the same word in Greek. Uh, in fact, one scholar I, I read suggests we use the word rightified. We make up a word. He suggests making up a word just so that we feel the, the relation here to righteousness. We're rightified. If rightify was a word, what would it mean? What do you think it would mean? Made Right. Like right side out, right side up. Things are the way it should be. And that's the basic idea of, of justify it. That's it. The state of rightness or, or the, way, the way it's just supposed to be. We want this. We want things the way they're supposed to be. So to illustrate, just uh, another transparent moment, I am not a neat freak. Okay, let's keep it light. I'm not a neat freak. I have a high tolerance for mess, I like to say. High mess tolerance, so quite quite often when getting ready for bed in the evening, I will deposit the clothing I wore that day in a strategic spot on the floor by my bed. Um, And I've noticed somehow, of its own accord, the clothing forms a pile. I think my clothing breeds; they breed, Uh, and they form a a pile over time. My wife Sandy, on the other hand, she does not care for my clothing piles. She doesn't, she doesn't think my clothing has a right to peaceful assembly. So occasionally, she'll have me break up the assembly. She'll have me break up the clothes and put the clean ones and the dirty where they go. Because here's, here's the picture. Sandy really pushes this vision of putting things back where they belong. It's just in her. Restoring things the way they should be. Sandy, biblically, is righteous in that way. So she's Righteous. Uh, why? Because she takes action to rightify the house. And it's in her. And, there, and then the house becomes righteous. It's, uh, there's righteousness. That's the idea. That's actually the idea of this word. So that's what it means to be justified. And this raises the obvious question, why do you need this? Maybe you're here, you're like, I feel fine. <laughs> I feel like things are actually humming along. Um, in what way are things upside down so that we need to be right righted, justified. So the scriptures teach that God created humans to run the world in partnership with him, in loving community with God and each other, and we rebelled. We went upside down. We took our lives into our own hands by defining good and evil according to our own desires instead of God's. And so God says, here, run the world, and we did run the world into the ground. That's what we did. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong though, the world is absolutely beautiful and it's full of joy and life and creativity and adventure. But listen, all of that goodness is an overflow of God's righteous character despite our character. Uh, so yes, and but our character, we're still, we have beauty too. We're not all bad. We're not just thoroughly broken through and through in pure evil. That's not the Christian view. But we are a mixed bag. All of us are a mixed bag. Look no further than current news or the last 18 months, and, and you don't need any more evidence than that to find out humanity is a mixed bag, right? So, so then imagine you're God. You build up a world from scratch and your kids are independently bringing it down. What do you do? Yeah, if, if God's like me or if I'm God, maybe if you're like me, you, you cut your losses. <laughs> you know, you, you let the kids go bankrupt. You let the world go. You build a new one. You're infinite. You have infinite resources. You could build infinite multiverses. Why are you worried about this one that's going to pop? Um, cut your losses. But listen, that's not God. Because our God is a righteous God. This is where every discussion about justification must start. Okay? Our God is committed to writing, to making things right. It's just who he is. He can't stop. He likes restoring things. He likes making everything turn out the way it's supposed to be. He's committed to this. He's not going to quit because our God is righteous. He's righteous. It's just who he is. And so there's two main areas God needs to, to write. He, he needs to fix. And one of them is, is right here. It's this relationship between humans and himself. He needs to fix this. And listen, the problem's not on his end. It's on ours. We have the problem. We are the ones who have rejected God's definitions of good and evil. We've redefined human interactions according to our own definitions of what's acceptable and what's consensual and what's all of our own ideas of ethics. We have exchanged God's for ours. And we've made ourselves our own authority instead of a good and loving creator. And so there needs to be some way. What's the way that we, for us to get to the point where we can say, God, we're wrong. All of us at once, we're wrong. How do we get to that? We're wrong. We need forgiveness and healing deep in the core of our character. We're not all bad, but we are through and through bad but not all, but we're a mixed bag. We want to live fully under your rule, God, with your values. And then most importantly, how do we stay there? We have this tendency to repeatedly rebel. We need power. We need animating power to guide us and keep us to make sure we don't rebel again. We need this. How's this going to happen? And then on God's side, honestly, there needs to be some way for him to be able to say, okay, I forgive everything. Your sins are forgotten. You're my kids forever. And God needs to do this honestly without cooking the books, without playing favorites, or lying about sin, or giving us a free pass for destroying and abusing each other, which would be completely unjust. How's God gonna do that? How on earth? Is this going to happen? And then, of course, the second area, the first is this relationship. The second area God needs to fix is all the ramifications of this, how we pollute the world. This beautiful world that's full of brokenness and demons and racism and greed and political corruption. If God wants partners, if God wants us to be partners, then we need to get to a place where we stop messing up the world and start healing it. Stop bringing our selfishness to the table, our anger and our lawsuits and our greed and the way we objectify each other's bodies and minds. And we start loving people self-sacrificially and opening our doors to people far from God and responding with blessing when we're wronged. In other words, we need to be justified, made right so that the world can be so. Don't we long for this? We long for this. Just breathing, just think, imagining this world gives us so much relief and comfort and joy, just envisioning this reality that God promises. But how? How will this come to be? According to Paul, here's how it's not happening. He goes to the negative. This is how it won't happen. A person is not justified by the works of the law. So what are the works of the law? This thing that doesn't work to make us right. What is this works of the law? Well, what Paul's referring to is Moses. The 613 commands in the Torah. You remember, if you've ever read the story of the Old Testament, or you've seen the Prince of Egypt, you see Moses going up on the mountain, and he brings down these 10 commandments. Those are the first 10. There's actually 613. And two, three more. My math is awful. Um, and and there's, so there's all these laws. And Paul's like, hey, Peter, we're Jews. We know that following the rules doesn't fix us. We know this. How do we know this? Because we've read our Bibles. And we've seen the repeated story of Israel's rebellion failing to be righteous like God. And since God is a righteousing. <laughs> I just made, a, a made up a word. Since God is a righteous in God, he can't stop pursuing the rebels. And, and listen, <laughs> Israel, it's not like they were trying to do great and trying to be righteous and then suddenly like, oh no, I accidentally cut the sides of my beard when I was cutting my hair like law 567 commands. No, it's not that they're accidentally messing up in the little ways. They were intentionally breaking the most major laws possible. Worshiping Intentionally worshiping other gods and exploiting the vulnerable. And what what does that teach us? It teaches all of us rules can't change us. Rules can't change us. They do a lot of good and they can start forming habits differently, but they ultimately can't change us. And this is what we're supposed to grapple with right now. This is what we're supposed to grapple with. Deep down, we know, you know, we know that we're supposed to love God and love neighbor. And we don't need to read the Torah to know that. Right? That's why Jesus said to sum it all up, love God, love neighbor. You don't need to read it. You could know that. Question though, do you do this? We know we're supposed to love God, love neighbor. Don't need to read 613 laws for that. so, So then do you do it? No, we don't do it. Not all the time. We know it's wrong to be egotistical and vain. Do we stop? No, we keep doing it. Why is this contradiction true about you and me? Why is this the case? The journey to being made right involves being honest about this. If righteousness is all about bringing integrity back to the universe, then our first step towards righteousness is being honest about where we lack integrity. And the word in the Bible for this, lack, is sin shows up in big ways and small ways this is our sin so think about it this way if if righteous is like the north pole and sin is the south pole righteous is the way it's supposed to be and sin's the way it's not supposed to be uh, then listen the first step away from sin and toward righteousness is just being honest about which pole you are facing it doesn't even matter if you're super close As much, you know, like if you're super close to righteousness, you're super godly, but you're facing the South Pole. (laughs) Then you're a hypocrite just as much as someone who's super by the South Pole. And also facing the South Pole. You're, you're, You're facing the same direction. We need to be honest about where we are oriented. Toward righteousness or sin. It's less about how godly you are, more about how much you are aware of your need. And so so the question becomes, what is going to get us all facing righteousness? What's going to get us ending our contradictions and and bring integrity out in the universe and right here in our own hearts? What's going to align us with what we know to be true? What can justify? What can actually do that? It's got to be a powerful force. And here's Paul's answer. There it is in verse 16 again. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but how? By faith in Christ Jesus. There it is. So that's it. It's faith. We're now on the third term. This is the third one we're talking about today. The thing that writes you is faith. The thing that turns us right side up again is this thing called faith. And we say this a lot around Park Hill. Faith isn't just agreeing with data. Like believing God exists, that's not faith. Believing that Jesus is God, that's a good thing to agree with, but that's not faith. Faith is to trust in something. Remember the analogy from last week, the leap of faith at summer camp? You jump off the platform, you're harnessed in. Uh, I can agree that the harness will hold me while remaining on the ground. Yeah, I agree. That's not faith. Faith is resting in the harness, putting my full weight in that harness. This is the idea, trusting it. So now, okay, track with me. This is where we have to really understand something about this verse. How many of you have the NIV Bible in your hands? The 2011 NIV maybe? If it's, if it's newer print, it's probably the 2011. Um, do you have the NIV anywhere? I don't know which one you're using. So that's the one we pass out, by the way. If, if you look at verse 16... So if you have your Bible open, look at verse 16. It says this. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. That's what the NIV says. But, but look closer. If you go to verse 16, you'll see a footnote. I don't know if you pay attention to the footnotes. They're very interesting. Um, in the footnote on verse 16, you'll see... Mine, mine is a little D, a little D footnote. And if I follow that down, it says, quote, or, but through the faithfulness of Jesus, or justified on the basis of the faithfulness of Christ. And you're right now you're like, so what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And here's what, here's what. What this means is, When you see those footnotes, it means a significant number of New Testament scholars in the NIV translation committee, they want to translate verse 16 differently. And this is the translation they would prefer. Here's here's with the footnote. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified on the basis of the faithfulness of Christ. So what's the difference? It's pretty, what's the difference? Remember the traditional one is we are justified by our faith. But the footnote one, keep this up for a while. The footnote translation is not by our faith. We're justified by Jesus's faith. Whoa. Like that sounds really different now. That sounds like a big deal. Which one is it? Welcome to one of the biggest topics in Christian thought. Right there. Huge impact on history, depending on how you read this. So here's what I'm going to say right now. All I'm going to say is this. More and more scholars are going with the footnote. And that's where I'm at as well. I believe the footnote is correct. We are justified. We are made right. We are righted by the faithfulness of Jesus. And this is a big deal. Here's why. Imagine if we put the emphasis on our faith we're made right we're healed primarily by our faith it's all about how hard I believe I mean if we are if that's what it said if, if we are justified by our faith and that's the primary emphasis then I can kind of see why that would be true our rightness is all about the quality of our faith but if we're justified made whole by Jesus' trustworthiness then our faith just taps into Jesus's and what he has accomplished. And then it's primarily about what he's done and only secondarily about me trusting him. See, here's an illustration for this. You got the picture of the plane. Do you guys remember that moment? You recognize that? January 15th, 2009. uh, Tom Hanks made a movie about this, Sully, Sullenberger. Captain Sully successfully navigated impossible odds you guys twin engine failure safe landing on the hudson river zero deaths crashed into the water everyone survived everyone was saved captain sullenberger you could say was a perfectly faithful captain completely capable and his faithfulness resulted in everyone's salvation you could say So now that's history. Let's do a little historical fiction. Let's imagine you're on the plane and there's two passengers and you're watching them. Passenger one, she's totally at peace. Like Sullenberger's like, brace for impact. And she's like, he's got this. (laughs) Zero anxiety. She's like, we are going to be fine, you guys. She's breathing. She's four seconds in, down into her belly, seven seconds out. And she's abiding. She's abiding in Sully, you know? And uh, passenger two, however, is flipping out. He's like, I've always wondered the last 30 seconds of my life. This is it. I'm gone. I'm completely gone. Just beside himself, hysterical. So passenger one has lots of faith, right? Passenger two has almost none. Question, which passenger was saved? Both. They both were. In this specific moment, their salvation had nothing to do with the strength of their faith and everything to do with the skill, maturity, and courage of their captain. But we should extend the metaphor for one more moment. Passenger two wasn't totally faithless, was he? He got on the plane. He rested his full weight in the plane, in the hands of the captain. So yes, he had faith. And once he was on the plane, it didn't matter whether he felt confident or not. His feelings of confidence were secondary. They, were, they had direct import on his well-being, <laughs> for sure. But they were secondary to his destination. Because it wasn't primarily about his faith. It was about the faithfulness of the captain. You get the idea. This is the idea of Galatians 2:16. It's not about the strength of our faith. It's about the faithfulness of Jesus. Once we trust in the trustworthiness of Jesus, it's not about how hard we believe. It's not about if we believe or never doubt. No, it's our whole life rests on the strength of Jesus and the faithfulness of Jesus. This is true. So it raises a final question. If the rules and following the rules can't make us right and can't bring ultimate healing or wholeness, then what is it about Jesus' faithfulness that does make us right? How does that work? How does something Jesus did so long ago actually fix me in 2020 and fix my city through me? What does Jesus do for me that nothing else can? And this is where we get the most exciting, to me, the most exciting part of all. This is where Paul's argument lands. He says this in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. My friends, Jesus, his entire life, his entire life culminating in his death on the cross was the supreme act of faithfulness that will make everything right, including you including me, if we trust in him. There is an act of initial trust that carries through to our whole life, resting our weight in the harness, being baptized into the family, stepping onto the plane. It's this this act of initial faith. And regardless of how we feel mid-flight or the turbulence we experience, we're in the hands of the most trustworthy captain. So, so, Jesus' perfect righteousness it opens this new possibility, where Evan, I can actually say, Evan has been crucified with Christ, which means Evan joins Jesus on the cross. Which means I'm also dead. I'm dead. I died with Jesus. I know I'm. I no longer live. But wait a minute, I'm alive. Yes, and it's this new kind of life. This new life is, in this new life, Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. This wasn't true before I died with Christ, but it is now. Christ lives in me. What does it mean that Christ lives in me? It means as I go about living my life, I'm doing so trusting the Son of God. I'm trusting that His life is living through me by the power of His own Spirit. This isn't true because I have enough faith to believe it. It's just true. Even on my bad days. Because the Son of God loved me. He gave himself for me. My life is now the life of Jesus because I put my trust in his faithfulness. So the ultimate question you have to answer, is Jesus trustworthy? This morning during pre-gathering prayer, Kai, who read in Portuguese... He also led us in a moment of prayer, just shouting out the worthiness of Jesus. Can we soak and bask in his value? Someone else said, Jesus is precious. Someone shared in Cantonese, in the Cantonese language, that, uh, that, that the word precious, it means God's with us and this is precious. They connect those two words in, in the Christian faith in the Cantonese language. Do you believe this? That Jesus is trustworthy and more precious than gold. Is is Jesus trustworthy? Yes. So I choose to put my life in the hands of this trustworthy God who became human, like me, and as I trust him with my human life, my life becomes Jesus' own life. If you've chosen to trust Jesus, Paul's saying this is just true about you. It's just true about you. It's not a command or a promise. It's a fact. It's a fact that is true about you. That's what I I always like to say is this verse, a command, fact, or promise. I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Command, fact, or promise. It is a fact. It is not some future promise thing that hasn't yet happened at all. It is a fact and real now. You place your trust in Jesus. You have been crucified with Christ. You no longer live. Christ lives in you. And as we orient our lives around this through prayer and scripture and all the practices, as we orient our lives around this, we engage this new way of existence. We now have eternal union with Christ. Union. That's what the church has talked about for 2,000 years, this idea that we are united with Christ. This wasn't true about us before trusting Jesus, but now it is. Your union with Christ is central to what it means that you're a Jesus follower. Union with Christ the beating heart of Christianity, you guys. In fact, the rest of Galatians, this series, the rest of this series is gonna be us working out what this means as a family, as it relates to the united, we're united with Christ and we're multi-ethnic. What does it mean for a society crying out for racial reconciliation? We're united with Christ and we're men and women. What does this mean for a society crying out for gender equality? What does this mean? And how that informs all of our lives. So, question for the room if you're united with the loved Son of God, if you, right now, Jesus follower, if you're united with the loved Son of God, what do you think the Father thinks about you? The only Son of God, you daughters and sons are united. What does He think about you? Do you think your sins are forgiven? Do you think that vague sense of guilt is valid anymore? not talking about specific guilt over unconfessed sin that you should bring to Jesus and be clean and rest. That vague sense of shame that you're never quite worthy enough. Do you think that's valid? If you are in Christ and God sees you united with his son, how much do you belong here? If you're in Jesus and he's in you, how do you think, how do you think you're doing with God? How are you with God if that's true about you? I'd say really good. You're doing really well with God. This is a big deal. Our union with Christ justifies, makes right our relationship with God. And then because of that, it makes right our relationship with other people. That's the flow here. Love God, love neighbor. And as we live into union, this reality that we're united with Christ, we become the kind of people God can partner with to heal the world. So I'm about to say something that I don't mean to brag I don't mean to brag, but I would say in recent years, there have been fewer instances of clothing piles adjacent to my bed. Um, Sandy might disagree, but here I stand. Actually, I think she does agree. She, no- she nodded. There, there haven't been, there, I don't think there have been any huge moments of shift. Like I went to uh, uh, Marie Kondo's spark joy class or something like I don't think I I did that it's just that when you live with people you kind of rub off on on each other that's what happens when you've been together 21 years that has an effect on people and so I, I would say I'm less messy than I used to be and I would also say that Sandy is more mess tolerant than she used to be that's what happens when you live with someone now listen union with Christ goes much much deeper than marriage Sandy's my best friend, favorite person, but I'd never say, I no longer live, but Sandy lives in me. That'd just be, it's just a lie. It's not true. But I do say that about Jesus. You do too, whether you're single or married. It's the deepest thing about you. Because union with Christ goes deeper than marriage. Think about what this means for all of us. Do you really think a lifetime of union with Christ will leave you unchanged? Do you really think a lifetime of relating with Jesus, being still multiple times a day, taking time to pray and to gather with the church for Seek First Sunday and on your own Monday morning in stillness, do you really think this won't affect every area of your life? It'd be crazy to think that. Of course it will change you. You're wondering, I don't know, I keep losing track of time. Spending time with God, is it's just keep this thing that keeps slipping out of my schedule. Do you... If you, if you really understood what living into your union, the deepest union you have, how that will transform you. 50 years of reading your Bible and praying every day, come back and, and, and show us that life. Your union with Christ is the only thing that makes you right. And then that flows out of you. It's the only thing that fixes all relationships and will ultimately heal the world, especially when Christ comes back to bring full union. (laughs) That's ultimately what this, we're never fully united until Christ himself returns. This is what this whole thing is moving towards. This is the why of the one new family of Jesus. It all flows out of our union with Christ. Again, scripture, prayer, hospitality, generous giving to the church, all the things we do, bread and cup, all the spiritual practices flow out of our union with Christ. They remind us of our union with him and invite others into the same loving union. So right now, as we close, I want to invite everyone into a time of prayer, contemplation. We're going to have baptism. Hopefully some of you have listened to this today. There's a couple people signed up to be baptized at the 1030. Uh, and if you haven't signed up, the invitation is open to you right now. Uh, I was talking with Taylor. Uh, he, uh, he got baptized. Uh, yeah, there he is. He uh, got baptized on a, in the moment, spur of the moment, a couple months ago. And I just celebrate that about you, Taylor. And, and you too, you don't need to complicate things. Step into union with Jesus in the presence of the united family of Jesus. Let us celebrate that decision. Uh, so if you are not a Christian, not yet, I'll just, I just admit, you just heard a lot. <laughs> you heard a lot maybe you've never heard before. This is core to Christianity. Christ gave up his life for you so that you and I together can give up our lives to Jesus and then our life becomes his life. Jesus said, I and you, you and me, us and the Father, we are one. Jesus talked about this. As a human being in 2022, you know what brokenness looks like. You probably know what this contradictory brokenness feels like in your own heart so today I want to invite you to follow Jesus step into the waters of baptism nothing else gets close to the core of who you are to heal you forgive you free you of that low-grade anxiety and guilt and fear of not belonging to something meaningful only Jesus frees that. In Jesus, we're accepted and embraced by God. It's not about a book of rules, although rules are not bad things. It's about a dynamic living relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to lead, if you're not yet a Christian here, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. This is, this is just kind of step zero, step one, and I'd love to invite you into step one or two, however you look at it, to actually put feet to the faith. Put feet to your trust. Step into the harness and be baptized. So let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, I just bless and welcome in the spirit. I welcome those who are not yet Christians, who are seeking what that might mean. I pray that right now they would find that this makes all the sense in the world. Christ loved me, gave himself for me. I want to give myself to him. Would you reveal yourself to that woman, to that man? Yeah. If that's if that's you, respond today. Step into the waters of baptism as soon as you hear the cue. I'll say, "Waters are open. Come forward." And you'll talk to either myself or Matt or something up by the water. And we'll lead you into the waters of baptism. Now, for the Jesus followers in the room, for Christians in the room, um, what Paul says about himself is true about all of us. It's just a fact. Whether you are the terrified passenger on the plane right now, full of doubt, or you came in here just feeling great, strong, extra certainty today, or whatever, Either way, it's true of us equally what Paul says. So can we pray this together? Feel free to um, add some music. We're actually gonna do like a contemplative prayer moment here where we pray this over ourselves. So feel free to just take a breath and invite the presence of God to let this grow deeper in your soul than ever. Holy Spirit, make this truer to us than ever. So feel free to close your eyes or keep them open. Notice your surroundings. Notice who's around you. Notice the differences around you. Not one person in this room is even remotely the same. And yet we can all say this I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Thank you. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me, just sit with that for thirty seconds. to a time of baptism and communion. We'll start with communion. Feel free to stand together. We join with the whole family of God all over the world by uniting around the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. So with everything we've just been talking about, let's walk forward, come to the table. Feel free to grab a cup, bring it back to your seat during this song. And then hold it at your seat, just hold on to it, and then I'll come up and lead us in eating and drinking in a moment.